The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So my name is Wayne Brown. I get to be the campus pastor here at Ecclesia on the west side, and that means a lot of things. And one of the things that that, that means is uh, on 325 on a Saturday afternoon, when you get a phone call that uh, Sean Palmer, who's supposed to be preaching here today, is not going to be here because he's going to be downtown uh, because our lead pastor, Chris C., has the flu uh, and wasn't going to be preaching downtown. Uh, that means that you're up, Slugger, right? So... <laughs> Uh, they always tell you, uh, have something in your back pocket in case of emergencies. And uh, so when I tell you that this one is fresh, it's because it is, right? So, uh, but I'm really honored and grateful to get to be invited to come and share with you um, today. So it's, if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to open with a word of prayer. It's not for you because you guys look fantastic. This is totally for me, okay? <laughs> I feel like I need it. So would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we are so grateful for your grace and your presence in our lives and how we can learn so much of you and your, your loving kindness from everything that you've made. And so we ask that today that you would make us aware of your presence in this place here now, that you've been with us this whole time. And we ask that as we pause to open the scriptures that your voice would speak into our souls, that you would minister to us, that you would be with us, not because I deserve it, but because we need you way more than any of us deserve. And so will you do something that only you can do today in our midst? Will you speak to us? Will you make us anew? And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So uh, I had a really um, interesting moment on Friday where all of these memories just came flooding back to me. Um, my mom told my wife and I that what she wanted more than anything else in the world this Christmas was to just get some photos of all of her grandkids in the same place at the same time. So uh, we drove our two kids down to her house on Friday. We met my niece, who's a senior in high school, about to graduate, and we got all them together, and uh, somehow we got some photos out of it, right? <laughs> when we got there, we weren't sure it was gonna go very well. Uh, but if you're like me, oftentimes the only camera I use anymore is just what's on my phone. Uh, but when I knew we were going down, I thought, you know what, somebody gave us a camera seven years ago uh, for Christmas, because we were expecting our first child, Moses, my son, and they wanted us to be able to take some really good photos. So I literally had to wipe dust off the camera, right? Go find the battery, plug it in, uh, and charge it on the way down because it wasn't going to be charged enough. Uh, but as I was doing that, it just brought up all these memories, and uh, I could. It, transported me back to that moment when I was in the delivery room with them. It was the first time I was taking photos with that camera. And I remember it was, uh, as you can imagine, delivery's hard, right? And uh, it, was, it was a long process. And at some point, uh, my beautiful wife said, yes, let's go for the epidural. Um, and they missed, which I didn't know they could do that. Um, I don't know anything about it. So they had to do it again, and that one, uh, that one worked. So 
uh, it was a little uh, traumatic in there for a little while. Um, and it was starting to kick in. And we were living in Jackson, Mississippi at the time. And Jackson's a college town, so there's a lots of colleges and universities there and several nursing programs. So at one point in the delivery after this had all happened, uh, one of the head professors walks in with a crew of student nurses um, who look like they're fresh out of high school and says, is it okay with you guys if we just hang out in the room and we observe and we watch? And what you need to know is my wife's a pretty private person. Um, like, I'm absolutely confident that many of you have actually met her and she, you have no idea that we go together, right? Because she's a private person, right? I, I try to tell myself this so I, that it reminds me that she's not embarrassed of me, right? Like, um, she's not. She's just private, right? She, she just wants to do that. So we're sitting there, and I look at her after they answer the, ask the question, and I can tell it's just taking a little longer to answer than normal. So right as I'm about to be the supportive husband and step in and say, thank you, it's so kind, no, like we, this is our first, you know, just, you know, land the plane really well, but thanks, but no thanks. I hear her say, sure, that's totally fine. They can totally stay in. Uh, so there were lots of folks in the delivery room. Um, and what I can tell you is that first moment when I saw Moses and I could see him, and they clean him up and they do the little, like, they get the stuff out of his nose thing. And you hear that first cry, all the world shut out. I didn't know who else was in there. I was just locked in. And I can remember just saying, he's beautiful. Emily, he's perfect. And the waterworks just unleashed. I mean, I lost it. I was boohooing like a baby in the, in the waiting room. And I finally uh, remember, oh, yeah, we have, I have a camera. This is what it's for, right? So I was able to start getting some photos. I got one I want to share that was uh, minutes old. Uh, and this is Moses. Um, and they're still working on him. And I'm in there trying to, trying to get that. And, uh, man, what, so what they told me later, um, oh, and here's, uh, I think he's a day old in this one. And you can see him latching on to his Aunt Carol's finger there. Uh, so cute. What they told me later was that everyone in the hospital room just lost it, right? Everybody was crying. And it was because, uh, like, I was crying and they weren't expecting it. And if I'm honest, I wasn't expecting it either. Because what you need to know about me is emotionally I'm kind of like a robot, um, <laughs> right? I go to the movies with you and everybody else is passing out tissues and they're crying and everything. And I get it and I'm like, yeah, that was sad, you know? <laughs> like I just can't, it just doesn't, it, it would never come out. And so I wasn't expecting it. But it's, it's funny how a baby changes everything, you know? And we had no idea what we were getting into, right? I remember I, I, I was the youngest in my family, so I'd never changed a diaper. I'd never held a baby before, right? I was the guy when you'd go over to somebody's house and they just had a baby and they're like, here, do you want to hold the baby? We're like, no, thanks. <laughs> like, let's not uh, trust the warranty on that, right? Let's not break anything here, all right? Like, I don't want to do that. Um, so, like, never held a baby, um, had no clue what I was doing. I literally got a book uh, that said, be prepared. It was almost like a... Um, Boy Scout manual, like how to, how to build fires, but it was for how to change a diaper, right? Uh, so I'm literally over there. I remember the first diaper I changed in the hospital. He peed all over me, right? Like I was fumbling around. I had no clue what I was doing, and we had no idea what to expect, right? 
And we had no idea that we would never sleep through the night ever again, right? Uh, I had no idea that things that used to take me 15 minutes now take us hours, right? Uh, that sometimes even just getting dressed uh, can be such a challenge. Uh, it, you know, finances, all of it, the baby changes everything. But what was really apparent from the get-go was it wasn't that he just changed our schedule and all of that. It was that he was changing something inside of me that he opened up and he redeemed something within me that I felt like was lost. And now it's not uncommon that I tear up at commercials sometimes, right? Like, and it's like this baby has done something to me and his sister too, right? They, they change everything. And I think that's what's so amazing about the Advent season is Advent means coming. It means that something is happening. We're anticipating the arrival of this baby that's going to change everything. And I want us to take a few moments to look at a couple of stories in the scriptures where we get to see the invitation for how do we respond to this baby that comes and changes everything. So I wanna start in Matthew chapter two. And in Matthew chapter two, he describes the story of how and where Jesus was born. And he says in chapter two, verse one, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem, in the province of Judea, at the time when King Herod reigned. Not long after Jesus was born, magi, wise men, or seers from the east, made their way from the east to Jerusalem. These wise men made inquiries. They said, where is this newborn who is the king of the Jews? When we were far away in the east, we saw his star and we have followed its glisten and gleam all this way to worship him. King Herod began to hear rumors of the wise men's quest, and he and all of his followers in Jerusalem were worried. So Herod called all of the leading Jewish teachers, the chief priests and head scribes, and asked them where Hebrew tradition claimed the long-awaited anointed one would be born. And the scribes and priests said, an ancient Hebrew prophet Micah said this, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no poor relation. For from your people will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Herod called the wise men to him, demanding to know the exact time the special star had appeared to them. Then Herod sent them to Bethlehem. And Herod said, go to Bethlehem and search high and low for this savior child. As soon as you know where he is, report it to me so that I may go and worship him. I think it's interesting that he says, I want to go and worship him. But as the story progresses, what you find is that his definition of worship is not actually worship. He's actually threatened and his plan is to find a way to kill this child. And so what you see in this story is there's two different groups of people who respond to Jesus in vastly different ways. I love that it, we describe these wise men as, as wise men, uh, and that's, that's appropriate, right? And I always uh, picture the nativity scenes where there's three guys uh, with crowns, and they're bringing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, but the truth is, we have no idea how many of them were there, right? We know there's at least two. Um, and the fact that they traveled for years to get there 
bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh means that they had a security detail, right? They had lots of supplies. This was an entourage that traveled. Um, And it's interesting that the word that we translate wise men is the word magoi in Greek, which is where we get the word magic from. And so another translation of that word is actually wizard or sorcerer or magician, that likely they were scientists. They studied the stars. They studied all kinds of things. Uh, But you can imagine 2,000 years ago that some of what they would do and some of what they knew appeared like sorcery, right? It appeared like witchcraft. And it's interesting that you have these people who know nothing of the Hebrew scriptures. They know nothing of Moses. They know nothing of Yahweh or King David. They're doing their work. They're studying, and they see a star. They see a sign hundreds and thousands of miles away, and they make a journey that takes them years to accomplish so that they can show up and worship this king. And then you have Herod, who's, he's a king, but he's basically Rome's puppet to help them rule and keep all of Israel and Jerusalem under wraps. He's not a very religious person, uh, but he's very familiar with Moses and all of those other things. And he sees Jesus very differently. He sees this child as a threat. And it's interesting that I think therein lies the tension. As Jesus comes to change everything, but sometimes it's not maybe the way or the change that we're always looking for. It's really clear that Jesus threatens power. He threatens the established order. And Jesus comes to upend it and to redirect it and to establish a new kingdom, a new way of being, a new way of thinking. Now, it's interesting because some of us may not think that we have a kingdom, right? But the truth is, all of us have a kingdom. It just depends on how big it is, right? For some of us, it may be our car, right? That's it. Like, when I'm in, I get to pick what's on the radio, right? I get to go how fast I want to go. I get to go where I want to go, when I want to go, right? Maybe it's your purse. Like, only the stuff you want to go in there, like, that's your kingdom, right? For some of us, it may be bigger. But the truth is, there are places, maybe it's your man cave, right? Like, you get, that's your domain, right? Uh, We all have some sort of a kingdom. And what Jesus does is he upends that and says, how are you going to use the kingdom and the power that you have to do something totally different with it? And he invites us into something else. And it's interesting that these magi, these wise men, understand that the appropriate response is not to come to Jesus asking him for anything. It's actually to come to him and offer gifts. And I think sometimes, if I'm honest, what I look for from Jesus is all kinds of things. Like, I want him to make my life better. I want him to make my kingdom more of what I want it to be, right? I don't want to have any pain. I don't want to have any struggle, right? I want to have everything just like I like it. And I want to feel really good about where I'm going to go when I die, right? And what Jesus offers is a different way of living, a different way of being. And they understand that they don't come to Jesus asking for all of that. They come to Jesus saying, hey, 
Here's what we have to give. That they come in and they make sure that other people are able to thrive because they've been there. Whereas Herod comes in and actually ushers in mass destruction and chaos because he's threatened. So Ecclesia, the invitation for us is to begin to consider what is my kingdom and how can I begin to leverage all of that to be a blessing to those around me. And part of why we see that this child, this baby changes everything is you can fast forward in the story and you can see how he uses his power. So I want to take you to John chapter 13. And starting in verse 3. Oh man, I should have brought my glasses. I'm going to have to. <laughs> um, so John chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. And this is the setting here is this is one of the final meals that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. And it says, Jesus knowing that he had come from God and was going away to God. Essentially being absolutely crystal clear about who he is, where he's from, what he's capable of, what's coming next. Here's a guy who's seen the lame to walk. He's seen the blind to see. He's seen a dead man come back to life. He knows exactly who he is and what he's capable of. And his first thing is he stood up from dinner, removed his outer garments. He then wrapped himself in a towel, poured water in a basin, and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his towel. And we can fast forward to verse 12. And after washing their feet and picking up his garments, he reclined at the table again. And he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and truly that is who I am. So if your Lord and teacher washes your feet, then you should wash one another's feet. I am your example. Keep doing what I do. I tell you the truth, a servant is not greater than the master. Those who are sent are not greater than the one who sends them. If you know these things, and if you put them into practice, you will find happiness. Ecclesia, this is why we pause every year. This is why we take the season of Advent to remember that there is a king coming who will upend all the established order, who will take his power and use it to serve and bless and heal and restore. And what I love is that line of, if you know these things and if you put them into practice, you will find happiness. I can tell you I'm so grateful to be a part of a community that does this really well. And I want to give you a couple updates on how some of those things that we partner with together are going. Uh, so many of you were here a couple weeks, the last two weeks when we had tamales outside. Um, sorry they weren't here today. Um, we were expecting them, but uh, the tamales were fantastic, by the way, like so good. And what we were doing was if you bought a tamale um, and they sold them by the dozen, if you bought a dozen tamales, it paid for a dozen tamales to go to people in Venezuela who otherwise wouldn't have tamales for Christmas. Such a great idea, right? Um, and so in a very short window 
I think it was about four days that our team had to work all the logistics to get everything uh, done, both booking flights, getting the word out, letting people know that they could come, meeting at the hotel, getting all the supplies, all that kind of stuff. It took about four days, but we were able to invite 90 pastors from Venezuela and their spouses to, Col- to Cucuta, Colombia. We got a picture to show you. Um, it's in there somewhere. So, uh, yeah. So these 90 pastors from all over Venezuela, and it was just word of mouth, right? You start telling one and they start uh, sharing the news, sharing the word. Um, I think uh, Ramon, who's our campus pastor downtown, used the words loco gringo, right? Um, who's uh, like Chris right there in the middle, right? The crazy white guy who's talking about this. Most of these folks had no idea. They just knew there was an invitation to come to a hotel and that they were going to pay for uh, their, their lodging, their stay. Uh, Chris told us a story um, a couple of days ago about one pastor in particular who traveled for 25 hours to make it to the hotel. And he had no idea uh, what was coming. All he knew was, hey, like, you and your wife can come and we'll put you up in the hotel. And what was interesting is when this pastor got there, uh, he told uh, the story of he had been saving up for an entire year to do two things. One, he wanted to take his wife on a vacation to Colombia so that they could have some time to rest and just be together. And then two, he wanted to save up enough money so that he could pay for tamales for their church to have uh, tamales uh, during Christmas. And he saved and saved and saved, and it looked like he had enough. Uh, but about a month before, uh, last month, his wife got sick, and he had to take the money and take that savings and use it to buy uh, some medicine for her. Uh, so all that saving, and it looked like he wasn't going to have it. So he just got the call of, hey, come to this hotel. Uh, we'll pay, pay for that. So he thought, well, at least I can do that for my wife. And then when he got there, they announced, hey, what we've done is we've actually got coolers and we've got enough supplies for you to make about 150 tamales in your community. Uh, and here's some of the, some of the photos of the, the coolers. And this was great. Like some of you here at the West Side, uh, some of you have been to Venezuela or lived in Venezuela and you recommended, hey, let's not take tamales that are pre-made because uh, everybody makes tamales their way, right? I mean, the same thing is true for me. Like, you don't tell me how to make my mashed potatoes, right? Like, I make my own mashed potatoes, right? So <laughs> same thing, like, hey, like, give them the supplies and let them make it. It's kind of part of the tradition. So here you can see some of the, some of the folks uh, actually taking it and making some of the tamales. Uh, but I'm so grateful to be a part of a community like you who says, yeah, we'll buy tamales and we'll uh, send them down. And what a blessing that was for, for those folks. Another way that our church has responded is you may have heard that we're partnering with an organization called Urban Urban Strategies, uh, and they've got something called Refugio, where uh, they essentially take kids who've been misplaced at the border, and they help put them in foster care uh, so that they can be cared for while all the logistics work out to get them to, to their family. Uh, and we made an ask and let you know, hey, like we've got a connection, uh, here's an opportunity. And some of you actually said, hey, we'll foster kids. Uh, and we are so thrilled um, because this week we actually had our first three kids uh, with us. Uh, one of the families is uh, just, there's, um, they don't have any kids, right? They literally have no idea what to expect. <laughs> uh, but they said, yes, we'll do that. And they got a brother and sister, um, Luis and Naomi. Uh, who are seven and nine. Uh, They're from El Salvador, uh, and they're staying now in their home. And we've converted our downtown kids' spaces to where we can actually offer childcare during the week uh, so they can have childcare there. 
And then there's another little girl who's two from Honduras. Uh, Melanie is her name. Um, and both, all those kids, actually, they got to be with us this week. We have a pastor's meeting every Tuesday downtown uh, where we gather and we just talk about different prayer requests. We pray for many of you and what's going on, share some updates, how we can support. And uh, they got to be there with us and we got to pray for them, over them. And it was such a gift to watch Melanie sitting in one of the pastor's laps and she just fell asleep in the middle of the meeting, right? Uh, and in the same way that, like, that Moses and my daughter changed everything for me, like, that moment changed so much about what's going on for me. Because I know when I turn on the news, there's so much politics and there's so much other stuff wrapped up in what's going on at the border. And I don't know where you land in that, in the political thing. And frankly, I don't really care. Because when I see that little girl and I see those kids, I'm so thrilled and honored that we get a chance to care for them and provide a safe place for them. Uh, so one of the things that we asked is, hey, the director was there, what's the most challenging thing for families that want to do this, that want to foster? And I was shocked because he said, it's actually the paperwork. And we are like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, there's more paperwork than you know what to do with, and it's invasive. They ask you about every little detail of your life. It's overwhelming. Uh, and so when we heard that, we thought, well, we're good at throwing tamale parties, right? Uh, what if we throw a paperwork party um, and let anybody who wants to do this come together and actually work on their paperwork? So uh, we've got some families that are still doing that, and I want to let you know that if you're someone who speaks Spanish and you're interested in opening your home and providing foster care on a temporary basis, uh, less than a year uh, to some of these kids, uh, there's still space to do that. Uh, so we're throwing a paperwork party on January 11th downtown uh, where you can come together with other folks who are in the process of filling out their paperwork or who just want to start. And if you go to ecclesiahouston.org slash refugio, you can get more info about the, that project and you can fill out some paperwork there um, if that interests you. But I'm so grateful to be a part of a community that so many of you stepped up and said, yes, we're in, we're going to do this. Um, and then as many of you know, we partner uh, with Living Water International uh, all during Advent, and we take off special offerings at the end of each one of our gatherings during communion, and 100% of those proceeds, those offerings, go to help provide clean water uh, to people all across the world uh, who don't have access to it. And it's because we see how those gifts transform entire communities and entire people and I want to share with you uh, one story in particular uh, about a village in Uganda uh, and how we were able to partner uh, with Living Water to provide some clean water there. So you guys can roll that. Scripture says that in life, there's a time and a season for everything. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to grieve and a time to celebrate. My husband John and I have so much to be thankful for. It was not always this way. For years, my family suffered without safe water. Every day, our children would walk to collect water, but it was not safe to drink. Because of this, our nine-month-old son, Joshua, became sick with typhoid and died. 
After three difficult years, we suffered another tragedy. I was in the garden with my wife when we sent our 10-year-old daughter to fetch water from the open well. She made this journey with friends every day. But this day, she went alone. After two hours, we began to worry, and John went to look for her. I couldn't believe it when I saw her lifeless body floating on top of the water. Our family was never the same again. We felt like we could not carry the weight of our sadness. Over the next 10 years, we had to sell our cattle and all our crops died because we didn't have enough water. We lost everything and we worried about what the future held for our family. But when we had the good news that Living Water was bringing water to our district, Viviana smiled again for the first time in many years. Now safe water runs from the hills above us into a tap near our home, serving our community and many others. Living Water shared stories from the Word of God and taught us how to practice healthier habits. I joined the water committee and began to help my neighbors construct their own latrines. I have seen John grow in leadership in our church and community. I'm so proud of him and the work he does to honor the lives of the children we lost. Using water from the tap, I was able to build my family a new home and plant coffee bananas, and passion fruit. Passion fruit was my daughter's favorite fruit, and we grow it on the land where she died in her memory. Because the farm has grown, we have been able to employ seven women from our community. With the money we earn from the coffee, we can now pay for our children to go to school. I no longer fear for their safety and the diseases we used to struggle with are gone. lives have completely changed financially and spiritually since Living Water came to help us. Thank you for bringing life back to my family. We have spent so many years in grief. This is our time to rejoice. Yeah. So grateful 
that we get to do things like that. It makes me think of the wise men's gifts. They brought gold, uh, which provides so much financial security. Um, They brought frankincense, uh, which is what you would often give to a priest to anoint, that in many ways there's an empowering, there's a blessing, there's a speaking, there's a raising up that says you can do this, you're capable of more. And then they brought myrrh, which was something you would use for healing. Uh, And it's also something they would use to embalm people. Uh, So there's a level of it brings uh, some comfort and grief and it brings healing. And I think this is why we partner with Living Water, uh, because when we give water, it's like we're giving gold, frankincense, and myrrh to those communities and those people. And so this is why we invite you to give. Uh, and just a few moments after, uh, we, as we prepare for communion, we're going to have some baskets out. And if you want to give, everything that goes in those baskets is going to go towards uh, our Advent Conspiracy offering projects like that. And I'm really excited because you're going to get to hear from uh, the African Children's Choir in just a few moments. Uh, they're going to be the benediction today. Uh, and they're from uh, a school called Empowering International Academy in Uganda. And we've actually gotten to partner with uh, this organization, this school, for the last four years. And we've sent uh, some of our uh, Advent Conspiracy offerings. We've sent about $240,000 over that 40, four years. Uh, and it's gone to help provide plumbing and new bathrooms and uh, access to clean water in those schools. And uh, you're going to get to hear from them, but they're about to open a high school this spring uh, because of the the work that we were able to do with them because of your generosity uh, to get towards that. They bring a lot of energy. You're going to love it. (laughs) It's so great. Uh, But my hope is that we become those people who, just like Jesus, say, "What, what have I been given? What's in my kingdom? What's in my hand? And how do we become the people that our first instinct is to use to bless, to give, to serve. And I'm reminded of what Paul says about Jesus in Philippians 2, where he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of this, God has given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. Amen. So may we be those people. Ecclesia, will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful that you change everything that we can call you Emmanuel, God with us. Because you came for us and you're here with us now. And we pause and we thank you for this bread and for your body that it represents that was broken for us. And we ask that as we eat today that we would be reminded of your humility and your service and your gift to us. And we thank you for this cup, for this juice and wine, and for your blood that it represents that was poured out for us. And we ask that as we drink today, that you would well up in us 
the same spirit, the same attitude, that we would find ways to be a blessing, a healing, a comfort to those around us, and that together we would be a part of something truly beautiful this Advent season. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.